Boys and girls, now uh, you are now dismissed for Kids Church, and uh, I remembered. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, as part of our uh, 100th year celebration, uh, we're going to be doing things all year long. Today, uh, our elder Brian Nickel is going to give us a uh, synopsis of 50 years of history in 15 minutes. Now, that'll be worth clapping for, too. <laughs> All right, Brian, bring it to us. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Just a special uh, note of thanks uh, before I get started here to three people who are no longer with us. Uh, Glenn Love, back in like the late 80s, early 90s, undertook the writing of a church history, and that is where I got most of this information from. Uh, and he also uh, used two sources in particular, human sources. He, he, he dealt with a lot of the records of the church and the minutes of meetings and stuff. But two interviews, the late Pastor uh, Harry Lindsay and, and the late Leona Thumma, who we all call Grandma. Uh, she was still at, at community when I first started going there as a child. Uh, and our own uh, Chris Salona, uh, she was literally Chris's grandma. So uh, thank you to those three people who provided most of this information. As Glenn mentioned last month, uh, early in 1923, a group of, of Christians started meeting in a home in Carlisle with the purpose of starting a new church. Uh, we don't know exactly how many of them there were. Uh, we don't know all the names. We do know some names, and I'll, I'll give you a few here. Edward Mounts, Elmer Lay, John Stout, James Martin, W.R. Gerhardt, William Petrie, and Charles Replogle. So some of you may know those names from, from your past, even from your families. And so they were amongst the early uh, founders of community. And like I said, we don't know all the names, but we do know some things about them. We know that they were highly committed and they were highly motivated. Now, the reason we know that is because things began to happen very quickly uh, once they got started. They started meeting in houses early in 1923, and by uh, June of 1923, they had already hired their first pastor. W.H. Worrell became the first pastor of Community Baptist Church. It was not called Community Baptist at the time. That's going to be the name at the end here, but um, they were called the Full uh, Gospel Tabernacle at the time. But he became their first pastor. Uh, we don't know much about him. I wish I could give you some information about him, but we really don't have much information. But by October of that same year, a lot and a half on the corner of College and A Street in Carlisle was purchased by Edward Mounts and his wife Lily for $612. Just let that sink in. Now, interestingly enough, they, they purchased this lot for the purpose of putting a church on it. Now, they, held, they retained the, the ownership of the lot, interestingly, for about two years. I guess they wanted to make sure the church was going to work before they gave up ownership of the lot. Um, but they, they finally, in, in uh, uh, 1925, October 27th of 25, they, they sold the lot to the church for $1, okay? So they were one of the founding families. Now, we don't know when the construction began. We don't have any date of the beginning of the construction, uh, but we do know, again, these were highly motivated people. 
uh, on New Year's Eve of 1923, they held a meeting to approve the purchase of pews from the Reformed Church in Carlisle for $2.25 a pew. So they were already purchasing pews for the new building by, by the, uh, the end of the year uh, of that year. It appears construction began right away and, and was probably completed in January of 1924. Again, let that sink in. That's about three months they put a church building up. Uh, you know, they officially became incorporated on February 24th of 1924, and they held a one-year anniversary in February of 1925, probably an anniversary of, of the building of the building, and that's kind of how Glenn came to, to that, uh, that date for the completion of the, of the building. And like I said, they were called the Full Gospel Tabernacle, but even that is kind of interesting because uh, in, on May 27th of 1931, they changed their name to the Grace Tabernacle. Uh, you know, saw some of the, the, the ambiguities of that name, Full Gospel Tabernacle, and they decided to change the name. Well, they must not have ever made it official. There, there's no court action that we can see. They did do that when they, they incorporated, but we don't find any court action for the change of the name. So interestingly enough, on April 7th of 1937, they went back to using the name Full Gospel Tabernacle again. So for a while, they, they, they went back to it. Uh, and we also have a period of time in the records where no name for the church is actually listed in the meetings anywhere. So, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what they were doing in, in, in that period. But on May 1st of 1951, they became Community Baptist Church. And that was the name I grew up with knowing when I first came to, to community as a boy. Uh, and, and we kept that name up until, uh, you know, here in the, in the 2000s, and we'll talk more about that later on. It's interesting because they became an independent Baptist church, but they did have an association with the GARB, the General Association of Regular Baptists. Uh, evidently, they never completely joined the denomination, but they wanted to associate themselves with the garb, and so they kind of became a, an official association, but still an independent church, which is, is kind of interesting. Also, evidently, they only had Sunday school on, uh, up until November of 1951. They did not have a preaching service. That just goes to show you how times change and how important Sunday school was in those early years. That, that was what they met, was to study God's word, and then they went home. Uh, and, and so it's pretty fascinating uh, how things worked. They didn't make the pastor a full-time position until October of 1951. They must have meant by that that he was going to also preach a a, a preaching service in the morning because Pastor Lindsay, be, you know, re retained his employment elsewhere up until 1972. So, you know, the only thing that, that we can figure is, is, you know, because he was doing two services, it was now considered full time. Now, Reverend Worrell did not stay long. He resigned on October 7th of 1924, a little over one year, uh, and his, re uh, his resignation was accepted on the 12th. And on November 9th in 1924, they voted to call Ira Sollenberger as their second pastor. Again, basically a month passed and they already had a pastor. That just boggles my mind. I've been involved in four or five search teams through the years. I can't imagine hiring a pastor in a month. Um, 
But they did. Like I said, they were a highly motivated group. They hired him for six months. And that seems to be the typical thing they did for many, many years. They would have a six-month contract with the pastor. His salary was the Sunday school offering, whatever they got. So he was motivated to bring them into Sunday school, you know. That, that, was his, that was his offering or his salary. Now, we know a little bit about him. We know he was ordained in the church of God. He was a church of God pastor. We don't know which church of God denomination. There are several, but he was ordained in the church of God, and he pastored through the, the years of his ministry. He pastored nine different churches in the greater Carlisle area, which included Perry County. Okay, so he was pretty well known in this area when he came to community, and he surrendered his, his affiliation with the Church of God when he came to community and, and became community's full-time pastor. Now, there's a bit of a discrepancy as to exactly how long he was pastor. He's officially listed from 1924 to 1930, but in Pastor Lindsay's reco uh, you know, recollections, he said he didn't think that community had a pastor between 1926 and 1930. That during that time, they were using students from Dickinson College. I know that just blew your mind. <laughs> Dickinson at the time was, a, was a, a Methodist college. And students from Dickinson were being used for, for pulpit fill. And that he also had filled the pulpit many times himself in those years. So his recollection is probably pretty good since he was one of the people doing the preaching. So, a bit of a discrepancy there. We're not exactly sure. But finally, a, a, a really momentous event took place in community's history. And they decided to hire Pastor Lindsay as their full-time pastor. Uh, you know, they, they, again, for a six-month period of time. You know, every time you hire a pastor, there's that hope, I'm sure, with every church that this is going to be a long and fruitful association. They had no idea that six months would turn into 50 years. But he pastored community for a little over 50 years, and even after he resigned, he filled the pulpit until they were able to, to get a new pastor. So, you know, like I said, for, for a little over, over 50 years. Pastor Lindsay was a fascinating man. He was born in 1907 in Harrisburg. He graduated Harrisburg Tech that would later become Harrisburg High School, uh, in, in 1923, and if you do the math, he was 16 years old when he graduated. He went from there to Wheaton College, which was one of the nation's premier Christian colleges at the time, and earned his bachelor's degree at Wheaton, and then finished his seminary degree immediately after that, finished his seminary degree in two years. Um, he was a great scholar. He always, he always was. Um, after he finished his seminary degree, he went on to take extension courses, and this, this blows my mind when I think about this. He studied at Moody Bible Institute, Penn State University, Lebanon Valley College, Temple University, and the University of Pennsylvania, all in the course of his, of his career. Uh, just a lifelong, lifelong student of, of God's word, uh, and like I said, just a fascinating man. He was ordained in 1930, and his first church was the Portage Park Baptist Church in, in Chicago. We don't know if he was the head pastor or if he was uh, an associate, but he was there for about a year, uh, and then he left to be a missionary in Virginia for a period of time. He met his beloved wife, Catherine, uh, at community. 
you know, I, I've been told by several people when he came to community, he was a single man, man and all the, all the young women were very, uh, very excited when he first came. Um, so um, he was a professional football player while, while he studied in Chicago in the early years of what would become the, the NFL. I uh, played for one of the Chicago teams. He was a center. I remember him telling me about that, talking to me about, about playing center back in those, in those days. Uh, he was a, a, not only an avid duck hunter, he was a renowned duck hunter. Many articles written about him in local newspapers and even in national magazines. I, I remember reading several of them as a younger man, and I, I can't remember what they were. I believe one was either uh, Field and Stream or Sports of Field, but he was part of a, a group of duck men on the Susquehanna River, which was once a very famous, you know, hunting area for ducks, and, and he, was, he was actually nationally renowned as a, as a waterfowl hunter. Um, he, he really had an amazing impact. He, he, remained, he worked for the Harrisburg schools from 1936 to 1972, basically as a truant officer. He, was, he became the head of that division of the Harrisburg schools uh, of counseling and, and accounting of students. And so his, you know, built a lot of his life around trying to help students you know, get their educations and stay in school. He, he really, you know, he was an amazing, amazing person. Uh, and he actually also taught at Harrisburg College of the Bible. He was an adjunct professor at Harrisburg College of the Bible. How one man had the time to do all this, I, I have no idea. But probably no one set the stage for community's history and, and, and what would happen in its future more than Harry Lindsay did. I can remember as a young man, uh, you know, just the impact he had on me when, when I met him and was around him. And, it, you know, the, the reputation for just godliness. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, a, a person I look up to greatly and him saying, I would never call that man anything but reverend. Like, he just had that kind of, uh, of like aura to him, to people, that he was that respected. Also a great reputation for evangelism. Uh, Chris Salona, we were talking about this, and she said the thing that she always remembered as a child was how he would weave the gospel into every message because just in case somebody there was not a believer and, and, and the efforts that, that community took in, 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 the, in the, the neighborhood and in the town to try to reach the town and also the start of a missions program and all of that took place during his, his ministry. Also, the, the stress on, on Bible teaching and preaching, the thing that maybe has kind of defined community more than anything through the years, the discipleship ministries, uh, is something that he put an, a, an enormous stress on. I can still remember how impressed I was as a, as a, a young boy with his ability as a speaker and just how you know, he could capture the mind of even a boy uh, with, with his ability to, to preach and to handle God's word and, and just the influence that that made on me growing up. Uh, I had the great good fortune of, of him being my pastor up until, oh, I don't know, I, I think he was 81, I believe he retired, so I was just getting into high school uh, when he, he finally stepped aside as pastor of community, but uh, really set the stage for who we would be uh, and what our 
ministry would be, what our reputation would be in the Carlisle area. For years, they held a, a, a well-known uh, Bible conference that actually would bring speakers, well-known speakers nationally to Carlisle to speak at this Bible conference, and they did that for years and, and, and years. So just in closing, if you were here at community, not in this building, obviously, but at the other one, if you were there and sat under the ministry of Harry Lindsay, I'd like you just to stand. I know there's still a few of us, but please stand. And I'd just like people to see that, that there's still a few of us here who actually, you know, were, were a part of his ministry. And so, uh, hey, I, yeah, I, I, so unfortunately, not all of them are here and not all of them are, 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 are alive anymore. But, uh, yeah, we owe a great debt of, of uh, gratitude to, to Pastor Lindsay. So hopefully that gives you a little bit about the early history of our church. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. And uh, you're the guy to do that. I really appreciate uh, the way you've dug in there and helped us understand. It is good, isn't it, to, uh, to know who we are and why we're here. I mean, that's, that's always an important factor. And as we celebrate our 100th anniversary uh, we celebrate the faithfulness of God, and we certainly celebrate how God has worked through people. Um, certainly, the Lord does the work through us, but He uses people to do it. We never want to lose sight of that. And uh, as we celebrate history, uh, we always want to remember that uh, we are making history in the name of Christ every day. Well, let's pray again as we enter into the Word of God as we look into it this morning. Thank you, Father, uh, for this uh, reminder of your faithfulness and for those who have gone before and, and uh, have held true to your Word. Help us to be the same as those have led us into this time. And, and I pray, Lord, that uh, as we look into your Word this morning, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, we're continuing uh, this uh, series um, on Jesus' final farewell, the upper room discourse in the book of John, uh, and we're, this is the second in uh, messages in that series. Uh, if you remember, um, as we ended last week's passage at the end of chapter 13, Jesus was telling Peter, after Peter had said, hey, I'll die for you, I'll die with you, uh, Jesus said, you'll die for me, you'll die with me. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. What a somber ending <laughs> to a section. And um, it's interesting, as we read the scriptures, many times uh, in our current day, we're influenced by the divisions of Scripture. Do you know that there were no chapters and verses in the original documents? <laughs> that was put in later, really basically, so that we could find things more quickly. There is no inspiration 
in the chapter divisions. There's no inspiration in the numbers. People always said, and I know you Iwana, the Iwana kids aren't in here, so they're not going to get this, but, you know, in Iwana or whenever we're memorizing Scripture, do you know the address? Well, it is important to know where to find it, but, you know, that really isn't inspired, okay? If you know the verse, that's really important, okay? And uh, it's good to know how to get there. I get that. But uh, what I want to point out here is that as we end in chapter 13 with Peter's being brought aware that he was going to deny Jesus, I can imagine all of that was going through his mind and the other disciples in hearing that. And, and this next section, I don't always think of, matter of fact, rarely think of following that setting. That it's right away. I mean, Jesus begins to say what we're going to hear today right away after he says what he said to Peter. And, and certainly, um, Peter's world was rocked. Um, we, we don't have anything recorded uh, after Peter's denial until after the resurrection. So, I mean, there was... <laughs> He was shocked. He, he, was, he was knocked backwards. I mean, all of that zeal that he was showing was certainly hollow because of the fact he realized what Jesus said was true and he had failed. But in the midst of this moment, Jesus now brings these words to his followers as they face discouragement and uncertainty. This final farewell, all of this section, is to prepare them for what is to come. I think that's important for us to think about. We, we don't know what's coming, and we often could find ourselves overwhelmed by our failures and the threats of the day. But the words of Jesus come to us to help us be ready to help us get through, to help us be aware of the factors that he brings that make that possible. So let's take a look at this section today. We're looking at John 14 and um, actually verses 1 to 14. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. 
I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That is a packed section of words from Jesus, but all very much directed to his followers in that room who were going to be experiencing great disappointment, great difficulty, great despair in the days to come. You know, I have used this passage, shared this passage mainly in my ministry at funerals. I've probably shared this message over a hundred times in funerals. And uh, to tell you the truth, um, it's certainly a wonderful passage for that. But as I read it today, as I look at it in the context, it just is so relevant to us, not just at a funeral, as we think about those who we've lost. I mean, it's certainly relevant because we're finding discouragement in those times, and we have grief and, and all of those things, and so it's relevant. But let's not just keep it for them. <laughs> Let, let's realize these are the words of Jesus to his disciples, you and me, who are his followers. For those who are struggling, Jesus gives comfort and hope, and he tells them to change their focus. This is the reason to not let your hearts be troubled, he's saying. Certainly they are. Certainly our hearts are. I was thinking about that this week as I'm preparing. I'm thinking, okay, what is it it like to have a troubled heart? I think I know that a lot. I think we all do. I think sometimes we don't stop to think about it, but often we're finding ourselves struggling within with a lot of things. Have you ever kind of take notice of what's going on inside? Uh, it might be a little too scary, I don't know, but <laughs> there's often a lot of things going on. I mean, I think, okay, why, why do I feel this tension? I, I was, had a couple of meetings this week and stuff I've done before, and I found myself going into them quite, quite tense, quite stressed. Well, that's life, isn't it? That, that's real life. We, we all wrestle, even if we've done things many times, it's something new. We don't know how to face it exactly. We're not sure what somebody's going to say. We want to have the right answers. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's just kind of how life goes. In the midst of real life, Jesus speaks to us with these wonderful words. And he says, do not, <laughs> do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, there's a couple of ways we can deal with that. One of them is not good, and one of them can say, well, I've already failed, i got a troubled heart, so I just give up, right? The one is what Jesus intends, and that is when he says, you got some opportunity here and ability in me to not stay there. <laughs> you know, you don't have to stay where you are. It does not control you. I'm here with you. You can trust in me. You trust in God. I'm He's talking to Jews here. They understood the whole trusting in God. He's saying, trust me the same way. And basically he's saying, and you'll find it as we get into this passage more, I am God. Remember, Philip doesn't really get it. We'll we'll get to him. But, but, But anyway, he's saying, I'm the one 
that you can trust in so that your hearts won't be troubled. We, we sang about it this morning. Jesus, he, he's our hope. May we, may we focus on him. May we make a change in our mind. May, may we make a change in our focus. May we get away from the things that are maybe keeping us stirred up and troubled in our hearts and, and look to him. And why can we trust him? Well, certainly we are on the other side of the cross. We, we know what he did on the cross. We know the reason for all of that. They were going to struggle with all of that, certainly. But he says to them, and he says to us, the reason that he can be trusted is because he is going to prepare a place. Now, some of your older translations, particularly the King James, says mansions. By the way, that's not a very good translation. Okay, people have had an idea that we've got a mansion in heaven. All right. God's got plenty of room is what he's saying. This is a great translation, by the way. There's plenty of room in heaven. God, I'm going to prepare it for you. I mean, this is open territory. The banquet's open. And of course, we know that many don't come. But that's not because God isn't welcoming. <laughs> that's not because Jesus hasn't prepared well. Jesus is going to prepare a place. And you know, they're going to feel like he's gone Things have fallen apart. All that we had trusted in and hoped for didn't happen. He says, don't go there when all of this happens. I'm preparing you for what's to come, and the way to prepare you is to let you know what I'm going to do. And not only does he say, I'm preparing a place for you, he also says that I'm going to come get you. I love that. I heard all kinds of stories. I don't know how it really happens. I mean, when people pass into eternity, I've been with people who have passed. Sometimes it's just nothing happens. I mean, they just kind of stop breathing. We say, well, they died peacefully. Yeah, okay. Well, that's what it looks like. I've seen other people closer to the time, and I mean, my mother in law, she raised her hand. I mean, she, you know, somebody was there. <laughs> Whoa. I've seen people kind of do that, and then they still live, and they go, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm still here? Yeah, my wife's grandmother, that was kind of, she had surgery, and she was hoping she was going to die and go to heaven. And when she woke up, she said, oh, am I still here? <laughs> I, I don't know how it all works, but I know that Jesus promises that he'll come and get us. Isn't that a great promise? No matter what you're facing, no matter even if you die, <laughs> And many have died for their faith. But even if you die, don't be troubled. I'm coming to take you home. And it'll be amazing. That place that Jesus has prepared, we don't know what it's really like. But it's because we can't understand what it's really like. It's so amazing and so wonderful. In the midst of all this, Thomas speaks up. Thomas, who we know as Doubting Thomas, uh, unfortunately, uh, he's got a bad name that probably he doesn't really need to keep. Uh, we find later after the resurrection that he becomes truly believing Thomas. Jesus offers him to put his hands in his wounds, and he doesn't do it. He falls at his feet, and he says, Lord, I believe. And so, though he was a questioner, <laughs> And he asks a question in this time, and he says, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
And Jesus gives this powerful I am statement. I know the TNT group in Awana are going through the book of John and looking for the I am's. You know, I am is the name of God. Remember Moses said, who, who should I tell him, you know, sent me? What did God say? Tell him, I am sent you. So whenever Jesus said, I am, all the religious leaders knew what he was talking about. That, that's why they sent him to the cross. That's why they wanted him crucified. He was blaspheming. They said, he's saying, I'm God. Well, he, he is. <laughs> and he's making that clear here again to his disciples. I am. And of course, what an amazing passage here. This is so essential for us to understand. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In a world we live in today where the extreme value of tolerance of everyone else's thoughts and beliefs as truth for them, we find a clear statement from our Savior that there is only one way. And that's serious, isn't it? I don't mean that we're to be disrespectful and say, oh, you're all a bunch of idiots. That's not what I'm talking about. But I, I do believe that we hold true to the words of Jesus. This is our hope, not that we have made this up. It's not because we have a religious belief and this is our focus. It's because he is the living one. Our hope is in a person not in a religious practice. Our hope is in Him because He's made it possible. He's the only one who ever came from heaven. He's the only one who lived a perfect life. He's the only one who felt all of the temptations that we feel but never sinned. He's the only one that fulfilled all of the Old Testament requirements. He's the only one who rose from the dead. He's the only one that's prepared a place for us. He's the only one that sits at the right hand of the Father God and intercedes for us. And He is the only way to get there. There's no other way. Doesn't sound real culturally friendly. But it's the truth. I hope you believe that deep in your heart because that's where our hope is. Our hope is not in just kind of this fuzzy idea that, well, you'll just kind of get there if you believe something sincerely. Well, if you're sincerely wrong, you'll sincerely fail. These are the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one can come to the Father except through Him. Dear friends, if you've never come to Christ, think about Pastor Lindsay when you were talking about him, Brian. Give an opportunity for the, the truth. This is one of those moments. <laughs> if you've never come to Christ, You'll never get to the Father. There is no other way. You can try on your own and be a good person, but your works will not work. You're not good enough. You fail. 
You need a Savior. You need the one who died for your sins to be your way. He doesn't say it accusatorily. He says it inviting us. I'm the way, truth, and life. Thomas, <laughs> this, is the, this is it. Thomas, the way there is me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. The way is me. And in the midst of this, then we find that Philip asked, well, it doesn't really ask a question, but he makes a statement, asked Jesus to do something, and says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus, first he has Thomas ask the question about, we don't know where you're going, and Jesus has been telling them all along what's going to be happening. Graciously, he gives him a great answer. Then he tells them, right after that, that uh, if you'd really known me, you would know who my father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he has confidence. Jesus has confidence that, that they've come to know something. And then Philip, in the midst of it, says, no, <laughs> we don't. Show us the father, he says, and we will be satisfied. But Jesus, being the loving Savior that he is, doesn't say, I can't believe you guys. You're just so messed up. <laughs> Don't you get, I mean, I've been here. I've been giving myself. doesn't say anything like that. Now, I would probably say that. And you probably would too. But I'm not Jesus and neither are you. Jesus is the loving God. The gentle, kind Savior who knows our weakness and does not give up on us even when we act so foolish. Are you happy about that? I am. Because that's the Savior we need. And he is the one. And so Jesus clearly kind of repeats things to Philip and to the others that are there. He does say, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? It's important that they know that he is God. It's important that we know that Jesus is God. If Jesus is not God, he cannot be our Savior. Because only God can save us. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can wipe away the guilt of our sin. Only God. And what a God he is that would lovingly, graciously give up his only son for you and me. And so he takes time with Philip and the others, and he points out that he and the Father are one. And he says, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe. That's the key to it all, by the way. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least, those of you who have seen all that I've done, believe because you've seen the Father at work through Him. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus then gives them a word on the result of trusting him. 
He, he says that when they believe in him, they will do the same works that he has done and even greater works. I've read that many times in my life, and I'm always astounded <laughs> by the statement because I know me, and I know some of you. And uh, for us to do greater works, even the same works of Jesus, but greater works, is that really true? Well, Jesus is the truth, so it must be, right? I mean, Jesus isn't lying to us. I mean, he's saying this is true. How can it be? And he says that's going to be true because he's going to be with the Father. Other sections of this passage, he says, if I don't go away, you won't be able to. My going away makes it possible. Matter of fact, next week we'll talk a little bit more about this because he gets in the next section to one of the reasons that it is possible, and that is the sending of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us power to do the work of Jesus. It's possible because he will be with the Father. It's possible because the Spirit of God, the personhood of God, then the Spirit of God actually dwells within those who believe. And it's possible because of where Jesus now is. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. The Spirit is with us. The Son pleads our case before the Father. The, yeah, I mean, God could look down for the Father and say, oh, they're messing up, and the devil's certainly probably there accusing because the Revelation says he's there and accusing, and Jesus says, no, 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 I paid for them. They're mine. <laughs> Never going to let go of them. <laughs> and and uh, he, he, he prays for us. He prays for us all the time. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for me, that, that crazy pastor up there, that he'll give the right words to all this flock. That's a wonderful thought, a wonderful truth. Yes, and Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives forever to intercede with God on behalf of those who come to God through him. You know, we've seen this word of Jesus come true to those he was speaking to that day in that room. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, you know what happened. He stood up and he shared the gospel with all of the Jews from all over the world, gathered for the Pentecost celebration. And over 3,000, and probably that just meant men, so their families, accepted Christ that day. Jesus had never seen in his three-year ministry that many people respond at one time. It came true. Greater works. Not that they're greater than Jesus. <laughs> no way. It's Jesus' work through us. But the expansion of the gospel would take off. I just got a uh, letter from a missionary this week, a friend of mine who's been in missions his whole life, and he's retired, but he really isn't. You know how those guys are. 
But he was saying to me, all that read his letter, but he said that more people have come to Christ in the last 100 years than in the previous 1,900 years combined. Greater works. The gospel is going forth with power. Certainly a lot of need yet. We still got to keep active and, and sharing the gospel. But we need to do it with the promise of the victory that Christ has won. And knowing that he has promised that we will do greater works than him for his glory, for the glory of the Father. Don't sit on your hands. <laughs> We're in the business of the work of God. Greater number of people believing, greater movement of the gospel. Well, kind of obvious, Jesus traveled by foot, spoke in person. What a difference today. Through modern transportation and technology, I mean, the gospel's going everywhere. My son left Thursday to go to Kenya, Africa. Within 24 hours, he was there. And he's there working with pastors, doing training and uh, and I just thought, you know, wow, what a day. I mean, you know, I used to go to China. 13 hours, I'd be there. Um, people are going all over the place. Matter of fact, even those who might not be going to take the gospel are traveling cra in crazy ways. We, how many people in our area right now are from all over the world and have traveled here to work and have an opportunity to hear the gospel? God is using the changes that have taken place in our world for the sake of people coming to know Christ. It's an amazing time. Not a perfect time, but it's an amazing time. And the gospel is being communicated all over the world. Now the second result for us in believing in Jesus is that we can ask Jesus for anything with confidence. Jesus says, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, pause. Before you think that you can have anything you want, let me point out that there are qualifiers here in what Jesus is saying. First, he says the prayer is in his name. What does his name represent? If you are praying in the name of Jesus, that's going to guide what you say. That's going to guide what you ask for because you're praying according to him and who he is. So really praying in the name of Jesus is not praying in your name. It's not, this is what I want. It's not... Uh, Jesus is my Santa Claus, and I'm going to ask him for what I want. But it's rather a relationship with Christ, which he talks about further, as we'll get into John 15, about abiding in him, that as we are really in him, as we are really wanting his ways, as we're really praying through him, it's the will of God. And if you're asking anything according to his name, asking, in his, and it's just not saying like we do in our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen, okay? I mean, that's certainly to be, hopefully, a reflection that we mean it that way, but it can become rote and we just say it. 
thinking that's the magic words. That's not what that's about. But praying in his name is really saying, Jesus, I want what you want. (laughs) Jesus, I'm asking. I mean, you have family members that need Christ. I believe you can pray in this confidence because that would certainly be Jesus' desire too, that they would come to Christ, right? You, you want to be a better witness. You, you want to, uh, to glorify God in, in your workplace, and you're asking him to, hey, in Jesus' name, that's within his territory. He says, you can come with confidence. You don't have to be afraid to come in. Matter of fact, uh, this is revolutionary. <laughs> when you go back to uh, Old Testament belief situations and there's this fear of God and not coming into his presence, Jesus says, come on in. I'm the way to the Father. <laughs> you, you can actually get to him. And that was revolutionary when he taught them the Lord's Prayer and said we begin with our Father, a relational connection in our prayer life. But there's also um, another qualifier here in what he says, because he says it's so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Again, that fits in with God's will. When we pray in Jesus' name to bring glory to God, we pray in accordance to his will. And when that is the way we come and the focus of our prayer, we have his promise that he will do it. We have that access. We have the promise of him doing what is asked. As I think about that, I think about this question for me and, my, and all of us. Do, excuse me, do we really take advantage of these wonderful opportunities that Christ has given? To really pray and come to him. To live out our faith in Jesus so that greater things can take place. To come to him in prayer with submissive and humble hearts so that he will do what is asked for. So friends... Don't let your hearts be troubled. Keep your emotions in check and trust in Jesus, knowing that he will take care of you. He has prepared a place for you. He will come and get you. He is the only way to the Father, and he is God. And let him use you to do the same and greater things that he's done. Pray in his name. Live by his authority. And rejoice in him as we see him do greater things through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for the wonderful work that you've done on our behalf through your Son. We give praise to Jesus, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. Dear friends, if you're here this morning and you, as you've thought about Jesus' words here, realize that you've kind of been depending on maybe some idea that has nothing to do with Jesus as your way to the Father. Maybe it's your own performance. Maybe it's the fact that you were born into a Christian family. Maybe it's that you go to church or you're a member. Or even maybe... You're depending on the fact that you were baptized. Only if that's all tied to Jesus and your trust in him is that valid. It's not the things we do, but it's because of what he's done. 
So if you're here this morning and you are not sure of the fact of whether you've come to the Father through Christ, if you've really believed and put your trust in Him, I just want to give you this opportunity right now. Right where you are. You can speak to Him. He says, come to Him, right? He says, come, speak, ask. It's certainly within His will if you'll come in His name, asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. Just call out His name today. Lord Jesus, thank You that You have come to be my Savior, to pay the price for my sin. I ask You to be Lord of my life. I will follow you. I know that you're the only way to heaven. And I thank you that you've made it clear that if I trust you, that you will wash away my sins and I will have the assurance of being with you forever. With every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone here this morning that has called out to Christ in that way? Just raise your hand and then put it down. I'd like to pray for you. Anyone this morning? Yes, I see that hand. Any others? Lord Jesus, take over in my life. I want to be sure. (laughs) I want to know. God bless you. Lord, help us all to constantly be living in the truth of what you've said. To not let our hearts be troubled to believe in you and to know that you are preparing that place and you'll come to take us in the meantime may we allow you to work through us to do those works that you desire that you've made us for to bring glory to you and to the father in your precious name i pray amen would you stand please Who can go?
a hundred years from now, may there be a group of believers that celebrate the fact that there was a group in 2023 that stood here and said, Jesus is the only way. And he is working through us so that others will believe. Go forth with the wonderful words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, that there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Hallelujah. Go in his name. God bless you.